0: Hey, welcome back to the last shot, the last cast for the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the mighty 790 KFGO, FM 94.1, 104.7, the KFGO mobile app, and don't forget KFGO.com. As always, I want to remind you, Jeff, you can email me, outdoorslive at gmail.com. You can text outdoors to three five two seven zero. I may not get it immediately, but I will get it and I will respond. Uh, Still to come on the weekend edition of Outdoors Live, we're going to get you a Central Dakota Outdoors report with Pat Stockdale. We're also going to get you a podcast extra with Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. Uh, You listen to Gone Outdoors at 11 o'clock on Saturday mornings, but not everybody can listen at 11 o'clock. Not everybody can catch the podcast. So appreciate being able to bring you a podcast extra from Scotty Brewer and Kyle Agri. But first, Pat Stockdale is an award-winning outdoors communicator. She connects with hunters, anglers, bait shops, motels, resorts to give us a better idea of what people are finding or not finding outdoors. Pat Stockdale, take it away.
1: Thanks, Doug. Checking elsewhere around North Dakota, fishing activity still remains light, in part with cooler wet weather and the fact that hunting season's in pretty much full gear. Devil's Lake anglers continue finding a lot of small walleye in about 6 to 16 feet, but you'll also want to try deeper in around 22 to 32 feet using spinners. There's some success using crankbaits as well, and look for improving pike activity in shallower water. Not many anglers are on Lake Ashtabula, but there's still some crappie and perch success. Out west, the Missouri River is still somewhat of a mystery below Garrison Dam. It's okay for walleye in the Spillway Channel during the day, but anglers will want to sort through their catch for the keepers. The honey Hole's producing some walleye in a variety of sizes, but the shoots themselves remain slow from boats. Try the honey hole in the boat ramp from shore for okay walleye success, but overall it's sporadic, including from the wing walls. Work deep on the east end of Lake Skakwea off the points for walleye. Try the outside of Douglas Bay on the north shore or Government Bay to Riverdale Bluffs on the south side. Some salmon are starting to move into the bays, such as Government, Intake, and Scoria Bays on the south side, on the east end. Try casting spoons or crankbaits from shore or boats. Salmon seem to be throughout the water column, but there aren't many anglers working deep water now. As we move into the full waterfall season for residents and non-residents alike, it's still a lot of brown ducks out there, and they are locally grown birds. The migration hasn't started yet, although a few scattered small flocks of sandhill cranes were around north-central North Dakota earlier in the week. Some areas of the state have muddy road and trail conditions after recent rains, so please be cognizant of not rutting up roads and fields when setting decoys. And don't forget to download the apps that help identify
0: electronically
1: posted private land.
0: Hey, and before I forget, a quick note of a happy birthday to my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, Jan Kaiser of North River, celebrated a birthday just this past Thursday, right? I can get it right. I'm a good son-in-law. I can get it right. The uh, 20th anniversary of her 61st birthday. Happy birthday, Jan. So appreciate being able to bring Pat Stockdale to you with our Central Dakota Outdoors Report. Read her work in Dakota Country Magazine. You can find her in many other publications nationally and across the upper Midwest. Pat Stockdale, an award-winning outdoors communicator with our Central Dakota Outdoors Report. Hey, now the last cast, the last shot, it's Scotty Brewer, Kyle Agri, from Brewer & Agri Gone Outdoors. It's our podcast extra.
2: We're going to talk North Dakota pheasants specifically with Rachel Bush, Conservation Program Manager for Pheasants Forever. Uh, It's been a couple of years, I think, since we've had you on. Rachel, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah,
3: thanks for having me. Yeah, it has been a little bit, but glad to be back.
2: So the North Dakota Game and Fish Upland Bird Counts for Pheasants, Partridge, Sharp Trail, Grouse are up quite a bit this year. You know, it seems like, it looked like, from what I had seen, the pheasants are up 60, over 60%. Partridge are a couple hundred percent, and grouse are over 100%. Some of these things, some of these things are out of our control. You know, whether it's weather, um, hatches, you know, there are things that are out of our control. But there's a lot of stuff that is in our control as well, isn't there?
3: I'd say the number one most important thing, you know, is habitat. Those, so, you know, you mentioned those things we can't control, we, weather, but habitat, the quantity and the quality, we can play a role in um, what's on the landscape, and that's probably the the key driver for you know, especially pheasant populations is what habitat's available.
2: So, and what kind of habitat? You know, everybody hears the word habitat and they hear conservation you know, what does that mean? I mean, what are things that people can do to help that, you know, and it's not just farmers. I think uh, in some ways, I think it's everybody, you know, what are things that we can do to make sure that these numbers that we enjoy, we love seeing these increased numbers when we get them. um, How do we make sure that we try and keep those numbers up?
3: So I think, you know, when you think about habitat on the ground, you know, the, it's hard to forget what last winter looked like. And so, you know, winter habitat and good thermal cover is always important. Uh, But really what drives a population is nesting success and, and brood recruitment. And so for that, you need nesting habitat. And for pheasants, that means, you know, minimum of 20 acres undisturbed herbaceous cover. So grass cover, you know, where it's not being out that, you know, you're not haying it or mowing it or grazing it down too low during the nesting season. Um, And so that's really the habitat that drives, you know, population increases or population declines if we don't have enough of, you know, nesting and bergering habitat. Um, Up here in the Northern Great Plains with a winter, which no one wants to talk about or remember the winter from last year, um, thermal cover is important. And sometimes that you know, especially with the eastern side of the state, you know, that cattails. Those are thick cattail marshes that those pheasants are going in in winter. So maintaining those, uh, maintaining wetlands and making sure that habitat's out there on the landscape. And if you are planning woody cover, uh, make sure it's wide enough to actually do what it needs to do, which is trap and stop snow and keep areas, you know, free of snow or minimal snow so the birds can have thermal cover and not get covered up um, with any drifting. So That's what I mean when I talk habitat on the ground. Other things people can do is, um, you know, the Farm Bill's coming up for renewal and the conservation title within the Farm Bill contains a lot of important programs like the Conservation Reserve Program, CRP. So supporting legislation that's conservation friendly is also another thing that we can do um, to make sure that we're able to get the habitat that we need out there on the ground.
0: Rachel just a question you you did a great job of explaining the whole habitat piece which i i really appreciate both of those components of the nesting habitat and the winter habitat and um and and then we're talking about the uh, um the governmental side of it too right because that's an important piece of it um one of the other pieces that comes to my mind is you know the the hunters and how big of an impact is harvest of these birds um you know knowing they're a renewable resource but yet how, how big of an impact does uh, harvest have on populations?
3: So the biologists will tell you, especially when we're looking at, you know, species like pheasants or deer, uh, that harvest, hunter harvest does not, you know, negatively impact the population. Um, of course, we have limits and that, you know, we have those in place so that hunter harvest doesn't impact populations. But for the most part, especially, you know, populations that are well that are robust, that are not on the verge of anything, um, you know, hunter harvest is not going to significantly reduce the population. So.
2: so, Rachel, would you consider last winter to be a tough winter?
3: Yeah, it's the toughest one I can recall. And, I mean, we're, we're you know, record-breaking or near-record-breaking snowfall. Um, it was a very long winter. So, yeah, I would consider... Last year, very
2: tough. (laughs) So, which makes me wonder you know, we talked about the things out of our control, which is weather is one of them. If the winter was so bad, that thing out of our control, but the numbers are still so high, you know, they increased so much in that tough winter. Can we really blame weather as a a factor? Because last year, that apparently wasn't the case.
3: Right. And I mean, winters like that, and then When we have good production, um, so yes, the birds had a tough winter. I don't think there's a question about that. But when we came into spring, all that snowmelt created a lot of moisture and we had a lot of lush green vegetation. We had we've had consistent rains throughout the growing season, which means we've had moisture. Moisture means more insects. Um, And so the birds have been able to respond to these good nesting conditions. And I, I mean, for me as biologists, I gave lots of podcasts about, oh, the tough winter. We need habitat. The birds are going to suffer. And the birds make me look like I don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> our numbers are up. But I will, you know, and that's hard to, you know, because a lot of people don't want to think about habitat. They just, oh, birds are fine. We don't need to do anything, but it will catch up with us. You know, one of these days we are going to reach the cliff where there's not enough habitat on the ground. birds to respond when we do have winters like we had last
2: winter Um, and it it makes it makes a lot of sense your earlier comment now that uh that habitat during that nesting period is crucially important to the success ratio of our birds and our hunters in the fall
3: yeah i think hunters are going to see a little bit you know because we've had so much moisture out there um, habitat conditions are going to be in good shape. Um, I've been out for grouse already this year, and you know the the rangelands look good. But seeing lots of birds, and I think that'll just carry on in pheasant season. We're going to see you know good cover out there on the landscape, which um, makes it sometimes a little bit harder for us as hunters because the birds have more places to go. Um, but for the birds, it's going to be a good thing.
2: So, what does predation have to do with this whole scenario?
3: i'm sorry what is what
2: predation
3: oh predation um yeah i always you know do you remember the old saying like dilution is the solution to pollution uh you can apply that to predation too so when habitat is in small blocks um depending on the predator community predators are much more efficient at finding um and destroying nests or eggs um or you know and that's probably what most important i mean yeah we're going to lose some birds you know over winter um, but it's those losses during the nesting season again that are important but when you have adequate habitat on the landscape in large enough chunks predators are much less efficient at finding those nests mm-hmm. so they really don't in in most cases when you have good habitat out there on the landscape yes predators are going to get some peasants because that's what they do that's what they eat um, but they shouldn't, you know, they're not driving the population. They're not our reason for population decline or low numbers.
2: That makes a lot of sense. It it sounds like it has a lot to do with habitat and conservation, like you said. Um, it
3: is. It's like a broken record, just habitat, habitat, habitat.
2: Which is what, which is the reason, why, that's what you do every day as a conservation program manager for Pheasants Forever. Um, let's talk about Pheasants Forever a little bit in North Dakota. How many chapters do you have throughout the state?
3: Oh, so I, so since I've taken my new position, unfortunately I've stepped away more from the day-to-day of, of the happenings in North Dakota. I still reside here, but I don't get to deal, you know, with the day-to-day happenings of PF in North Dakota. But I think we're probably up near, you know, I'd say 25 chapters. If I recall last numbers, it's plus or minus some, because like I said, I don't deal with the Um, the day-to-day anymore. But yeah, we have pretty robust chapters and we have strong chapters out there on the landscape.
2: And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you guys uh, sink a lot of money into conservation product projects in North Dakota and literally all around the upper Midwest.
3: Yeah, both, you know, through our chapters that we have that, you know, reinvest those funds they raise locally. And then the staff that we have on the ground, which, you know, within North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, we have a lot of staff on the ground that work for Cousins Forever that live and breathe habitat on a daily basis.
2: All right, Rachel, people want to find out more about Pheasants Forever. And if they want to donate, if they want to join, they want to do something to help out, um, how can they find information out?
3: You can check out, the best place to check out is pheasantsforever.org. It's our website. You can sign up for a membership there. You can find a local chapter. Um, You can find out if there's a biologist in your area. If you're looking for you know, some habitat advice yourself Um, and you can see other events that are
0: happening around the state.
2: Perfect. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. We won't wait so long before you call, before we call you again.
0: Well, there you go. The last shot, the last cast for the weekend edition of Outdoors Live. I appreciate Scotty Brewer, Kyle Agri, Pat Stockdale, the Central Code Outdoors Report. Don't forget, podcasts available at KFJo.com, also Outdoors News, blogs uh, at KFJo.com on the Outdoors Live blog page. You can email me, Outdoors Live at gmail. Com. This has been the weekend edition of Outdoors Live on News Radio, the Mighty 790 KFGO, FM 94.1, 104.7, KFCho.com, the KFCho mobile app. Until next time, I'm Doug Lear reminding you, as always, keep your lines tight and your powder dry. Have a great one out there.